Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you and know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Ornoff, and here with me today is Dr. Gabriel Axelrud, Medical Director of Radiation Oncology at Joe Arrington Cancer Research and Treatment Center in Lubbock, Texas. In this episode of Let's Finish Cancer, we're discussing cancer prevention. While some cancers are genetic, others are related to lifestyle and steps can be taken to lower your risk. Well, let's dive in by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Axelrud. I would love for you to tell people a little bit about yourself and your role at Covenant. And for those who are listening who don't know, Covenant is part of the Providence family of health organizations based in Texas. Hi, Mary. So I'm a radiation oncologist and medical director of Covenant Health's radiation oncology department, which includes our main clinic, Joe Arrington Cancer Research and Treatment Center in Lubbock, Texas an outpatient satellite facility and an affiliated institution located in eastern New Mexico. And we're proud, as you mentioned, to be part of Providence St. Joseph Health. And all of our region's radiation sites are well equipped and able to deliver most radiation treatments for our Texas and New Mexico patients. And at our main center, Joe Arrington, we also offer more specialized procedures, such as gamma knife radiosurgery, stereotactic ablative radiotherapy, brachytherapy, radiopharmaceuticals, and pediatric oncology care. And beyond my professional life, I'm a husband and very proud girl dad. Uh, To a young one. Yeah, that's exciting. To two, actually, yes. I have a five-year-old and a seven-month-old now. Wow, so about 10 years from now, life's going to be really complicated for you. I'm not thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do know that that radiation oncology is an area that you're uh, focused on. So tell me a little bit about how you got interested in that field. Well, first, to keep it simple, I'm going to describe what radiation oncology is. Um, So basically, it's a subspecialty or it's a medical specialty where we use various forms of basically radiation, X-rays, gamma rays, electrons, protons, neutrons, for example, to safely and effectively treat cancer and other diseases. And early on, I knew I wanted to be a cancer doctor in general. And the decision for radiation oncology instead of, for example, surgical or medical oncology was fairly easy based on my hobbies, which mostly involved new and emerging technologies and a strong desire to develop meaningful patient relationships while treating and often curing cancers on a daily basis. Oh, I love that. You sound very passionate. I like it when it's passionate. I like it. It is still my passion. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about cancer prevention. And, you know, we've talked a lot about cancer in, in this show of uh, Let's Finish Cancer. And we've learned a lot about the fact that some things are beyond our control, right? Our gender, our race, our ethnicity, our family history. But some right. things we can control when it comes to cancer. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I know that a lot of it comes from lifestyle. So talk to me a little bit about how lifestyle can impact cancer. Well, lifestyle uh, can definitely affect cancer and uh, uh, the cancer risks. Uh, there are things we call modifiable risk factors, such as, you know, as, as we'll probably get to uh, some uh, tobacco use, some infections, 
physical activity, obesity, environmental exposures, diet, for example. So um, those are things that people can um, can actually modify in their life and and potentially prevent cancers and other diseases. Let's dig into that because I think diet and food is a, a big thing for people, right? Because it impacts so much, right? The food you eat That's can right. impact whether you have diabetes, it can impact your gut health, all sorts of things. Let's talk about how diet affects cancer or our risk of cancer, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, unhealthy diets have been associated with a higher risk of developing cancer, uh, colon cancer, for example. So it's it's a very important factor as we talk about prevention today. There was one review that actually found that individuals with the healthiest diets have about a 10 to 25% risk of uh, lower risk of death, cancer death, than those with the very least healthy diets. And to clarify, when I say healthy, I mean those diets that emphasize usually fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, fish, poultry and fewer red and processed meats. Uh, the Mediterranean diet, for example, is, is an example of, of a healthy diet. Well, we probably should clarify for people listening that when we say diet, we mean the foods that we're eating on a daily basis in our body, right? Not necessarily a fad diet like a keto or a whatever, but just the day-to-day -day food that we're eating, correct? That's correct. It's about, about lifestyle, whole life uh, style of... Uh, what you choose to eat and uh, yeah, rather than a short period of time uh, with these fad diets that are very tough to maintain in the long run. So what about things that are in foods, right? Like we hear a lot of things like this has beta gamma, whatever, or this has <clears throat> carcinogens. Talk to me about kind of what types of foods maybe we should be avoiding or things that we should be focused on. Okay. So I mentioned the, what constitutes a healthy diet and hopefully we'll still have an audience after I answer this one, um, because processed meat like lunch meats, bacon, hot dogs have, have been classified as human carcinogens and red meat such as beef, lamb, pork have, have also been classified as probable carcinogens based on primarily their, uh, their evidence of their association with risk of colorectal cancers. And the specific mechanisms of how, how that leads to that are not entirely known, but there are substances that we hear all the time, like nitrates or nitrites that are used to preserve processed meats and things like heme, iron, and red meat that can contribute to the formation of nitrosamines, which are involved in carcinogenesis, which means cancer formation. In addition, the ways we cook these types of foods like smoking, curing, or cooking them at very high temperatures, pan frying or grilling, can also form chemicals that could contribute to increased risk. I don't want to freak you out, but you know you're in Texas and you're saying we shouldn't, not, not only are you saying not to eat red meat, you're saying not to barbecue it. I feel like you're going to get driven out of town. You're asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm just here to answer. I'm just here to ask the questions. Well, um, let's hit another hot spot, though. What about alcohol? Because we hear a lot about alcohol and its impact on cancer. That's right. So um, it's estimated that about 6% of cancers, uh, cancer cases can actually be attributed to alcohol. 
and you know going top to bottom i can't especially cancers of the mouth pharynx larynx esophagus liver colorectal and female breast which there there's some studies that show that even a few drinks per per week can actually be associated with a slightly elevated risk of female breast cancer and the risk continues to increase with alcohol consumption at higher and higher levels so because of all of this the american cancer society now actually recommends that it's best to avoid alcohol and this is what i usually counsel my patients I feel like you're taking away all the fun stuff. On the flip side, I completely think I would rather have no beef or no alcohol and not have cancer. Um, it's interesting too, because, you know, you read a lot and you mentioned too, right? Obesity is an impact and, and a health risk for cancer, but a lot of times obesity can be related to the diets we're eating. But how does obesity impact cancer? Is it certain kinds of cancer? Is it, talk to mm -hmm. me about that. Yes. Um, so more and more, the evidence continues to suggest that one of the most preventable causal factors of cancer, aside from avoiding tobacco, which I'm sure we'll get to, is obesity. Uh, and the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer uh, uh, states that there is abundant evidence now to support the link between excess body weight and 13 different types of cancers. And I can list them for you if you want. I'd love to hear kind of some of them. Like, th are sure. there some of them the most common ones we hear about? I mean, because really we hear a lot about breast cancer and lung cancer and that sort of thing. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Breast cancer specifically in postmenopausal women, uh, but also endometrial uh, or urine, uterus cancer, esophagus, esophageal, especially esophageal adenocarcinoma, the type, liver cancer, stomach cancer kidney, meningioma, multiple myeloma, pancreas, colorectal, gallbladder, ovary, and thyroid, okay? But to, to on the flip side, weight loss in overweight or obese individuals has been linked to reduced cancer incidence. So these are things that we can, we can do to so, prevent so basically that. everyone who's listening is now putting on their running shoes, right? Because <laughs> hopefully pounds. they're listening at the <laughs> yeah. gym. Maybe, well, maybe it's a podcast, right? You're listening. That's right. But but let's talk about that. Let's talk about the gym because exercise yeah. can help, right? It can help us lose weight. Is it is it kind of a, a key to cancer prevention? Yes. No, exercise is very important. And this is in addition to other health benefits, cardiovascular, for instance, that everyone knows. But physical activity can also reduce cancer risk through many mechanisms related to obesity, which we talked about, or a reduction in insulin levels, hormones, improved immune function. And even for cancer survivors, meaning patients that, that had cancer and have received treatment, those who are physically active are actually less likely to have adverse effects and to die from their cancer in comparison to those who are not active. So activity is very important. I know that you you treat cancer patients. Is is physical activity important while they're going through treatment as well? And I'm sure it depends on the patient. It depends on the treatment they're doing. But you do you try to keep people as active as possible while they're going through cancer treatment? Yes, as active as possible. It's uh, uh, the treatments. You know, some treatments are very tough. So I say, you know, don't push yourself, but try to remain as active as you can, because periods of long periods of inactivity, basically you 
you become uh, decompensated. It's very hard to get back to your your prior baseline if you just completely stop. So any activity that they can do without pushing themselves, overexerting, is is a good thing to do. Probably helps with mental health too. I would think just being active and getting out and maybe being able to do what you were doing before. I could see that. I agree. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned smoking earlier. How, how dangerous is smoking cigarettes? And then I want to dig into that too on vaping because I think I've I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, I don't smoke, but I vape now." I don't know if we know enough, but tell me what you know. Mm-hmm. Sure, and I yeah, I don't think we can have a podcast on cancer prevention without mentioning tobacco use. Uh, it unfortunately remains the most common preventable cause of death in the United States, and cigarette smoke has been shown to increase not only the risk of lung cancer, but many, many other cancers as well, oral cavity, pharynx, larynx, esophagus, pancreas, cervix, kidney, bladder, stomach, colorectal, liver, and leukemias. Basically, it's been very clear for a long time, and I'm sure everyone knows that there is no risk-free level of exposure to tobacco. And when I say tobacco, because we were talking about smoking, I also mean smokeless tobacco and, and secondhand smoke. So, um, you know, it's, it is dangerous. Cigarette smoke itself is known to have more than 7,000 chemicals, chemical compounds, heavy metals, and more than 60 of them have been identified as carcinogens. Um, now you're wondering about vaping. I mean, first of all, that's a lot. You say the number of carcinogens. I'm thinking, why would I put that in my body? But that's neither here nor there. Yes, let's talk about vaping because I do think people think that vaping is safer. Well, uh, there there is evidence that vaping or e-cigarette use re- can reduce exposure to many of these carcinogens in comparison to the one to the smoking tobacco, as as we just discussed, but. There's also accumulating evidence of negative effects on airways and blood vessels, for example. And so you ask me if it's safe, since there's no long-term use uh, risks, basically, since we don't know what the long-term use risks uh, are at this point, I can't necessarily recommend them or consider them safe. And a lot of times people, patients ask me about using e-cigarettes, vaping as as a tool to quit smoking their regular combustible tobacco products. And, you know, I agree with the current guidelines, which currently uh, say that there's insufficient evidence for any of these products as smoking cessation aids, since we, we since we don't know the balance of their benefits and harm. So I usually still advise nicotine replacement therapies, prescription medications, and behavior counseling. Wow, you're just a barrel of fun today, Doc. <laughs> you're telling people not to do anything, but I, I no, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's so, it's so honest, and it's really these are things we can choose, right? And I think that's the part people need to listen to. And maybe as long as you're... as long as people are informed, you know, right. uh, I think it's you know the message has been out there. This is this is an addiction, and it's tough to treat. Yeah. But there are things that that are not well publicized. So hopefully this program can help reach some people. 
For sure. Well, and you know, the thing is, is maybe you're overweight and you're eating a lot of red meat and you're barbecuing it and you're smoking. Well, maybe you can cut one of those out right now and then you'll get to two. I mean, there, you know, just it's, it's, we're helping, we're helping educate. I, I think another one I wanted to ask you about though, is, is obviously environmental, but like skin cancer, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I wear sunscreen every day because most of the women in my family have had skin cancer. Um, but are there other things we should know? Are there other ways to prevent skin cancer? Well, um, yeah, sun protection, avoidance of artificial UV exposures like tanning beds, which my opinion should be outlawed, are very important um, because like you mentioned, you mentioned your family members or everyone probably knows someone who had one type of skin cancer because it's still the most common form of cancer in the United States, basically over 5 million cases treated annually. So I usually tell my patients at least to generally limit the time spent in the sun, especially, you know, we talk about the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., but wear hats, sunglasses, protective clothing, and wear sunscreen, especially sunscreen with an SPF 30 or higher. Now, beyond what we can do, communities uh, can also help by just generally increasing shade in outdoor recreational settings, planting trees, building shade structures, for example, and adding skin cancer prevention to school courses, hopefully from an early age. I would certainly hope so because, you know, I have a farm and I can't avoid being outside, but I wear the SPF, I wear the hat, sometimes I wear long sleeves, even if I'm sweating, mm -hmm. especially if it's with hay, but yeah, I feel you. I, I do want to ask, you know, we have so much to cover today, but when we talk about environmental, there's other things we should be considering. Like I know, for example, my dad's bladder cancer is most likely, I have to say that, connected to the fact that he was a chemist in a, with a very specific chemical for mm -hmm. 40 years, right? But are there other environmental things we should be considering? We hear a lot about like fertilizers, that sort of thing. Well, there, there are, you know... Um a lot of environmental factors and um, uh, and chemicals and, and things that have been deemed carcinogens. I think more important to focus on today are the, the most common things such as infectious agents, for example, that, that can cause cancer. So uh, human papillomavirus, which uh, you talked in a prior podcast regarding cervical cancer. That's HPV virus uh, can is is a known uh, infectious agent that can cause cancer. Other ones include H. pylori, hepatitis B and C, and HIV, for example. So, not to not to not answer your question, but I think strategies to prevent these to prevent actual uh, transmission. Uh, are important, but there's also vaccines that we can do to protect against cancers related to these infections. Um, and we, we, you discussed previously HPV vaccination. Um, since HPV infection causes almost all cervical cancers, right? But um, as the prior doctor who was on your show mentioned, uh, what may surprise many people too is that... Um, it's not well publicized that HPV also is responsible for 90% of anal cancers, 70% of oropharyngeal cancers in men and women. And those are cancers of the soft palate, tonsils, base of tongue, regions of the head and neck, and 
about 60 to 70% of vaginal, vulvar, and penile cancer. So HPV vaccination, definitely recommended. Um, and it's best works best if it's given to girls and boys between the ages of 9 and 12 prior to any potential exposure, you know. So, um, but teenagers, young adults, ages 13 to 26, uh, should also get their vaccine as soon as possible. So, um, yeah, we left that show, all of us saying, if you're not getting a vaccine, we don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Like that, that one's a no brainer. It's a flat out no brainer. It's absolutely right. But not to, not to answer the specific, um, um, question, there are, thousands of, of documented carcinogens uh, found in workplace, but also in the air, water, soil, uh, such as radon gas, outdoor, just general air pollution, pesticides, and occupational hazards too. So, um, yes. Are there are there things though, like around the house that we shouldn't do? Like I'm, I'm making it up because I don't really know. But like, I remember when I was little, my parents would be like, don't sniff the oven cleaner or whatever. Like, you know, are there are there things we should avoid around our house or things that maybe we shouldn't even have the house that we don't know about? Well, that is that's a good question. I think um, we over time, we we continue to find and uh, uh, we will continue to learn about things that we are currently using right now sprays, chemicals, cleaning agents, um, uh, things that, that, that protect furniture, for, for example, from, from, uh, uh, flame retardants and things like that. So, uh, yes, I, I would say, uh, we can't necessarily avoid everything. I think it's always very important to read, read the labels. Okay. There's a tiny print on the back of every cleaning agent uh or you know you have hobbies of painting or or staining things or uh, i would say read the labels they have to uh, by by regulations uh state the potential harms for example vapors they may produce and how to use specific products if you should be outside and well ventilated areas for example or you shouldn't let this specific uh, chemical touch your skin. So wear gloves. That's the main thing because specifically I can't go over everything that we could do, but simply reading and before, before just starting doing something, I think it would be a benefit to most of the listeners here. Good advice. Good advice. Mm -hmm. You, you did mention the vaccine. So let's jump into that because I know I know the HPV vaccine is is a wonderful example. Are there other vaccines that we should be thinking about or tests even like the BRCA gene testing for that? What what are your recommendations in that space? Right. Um, HPV vaccine is definitely, um, unfortunately, the rates are not as high as I would like. And basically, if we, if we have a very, very successful and vaccinate everyone, for example, then we can completely eradicate some cancers, like I mentioned, cervical cancer, or a lot of now, uh, or, or pharyngeal, uh, basically, uh, head and neck cancers. Um, so that is, is definitely very important. Other vaccines. Um, so I had mentioned, um, hepatitis, uh, B and C, which can be, um, 
which can be related to a subsequent development of something called hepatocellular carcinoma. So vaccination for, for example, hepatitis B is, is, uh, is definitely uh, necessary. Um, and, and then just screening, for example, for hepatitis C and, and for HIV, there's what, you know, we call pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is preventative measures, medications that can lower the risk of HIV in high risk groups. So, uh, those are some things that, that, um, that we can do related to these infections. Well, and I mean, obviously, like I get my pap smear every year and I get my mammogram every year. Obviously, we want to get the screenings that we should be mm-hmm. getting that would prevent that. That's um, right. Yeah. Which screenings, so early detect, cancer screenings can help with early detection, okay, which has been shown to reduce mortality from cancers that we typically recommend screening for. So you mentioned pap smears, but, you know, but also women beginning annual mammograms at age 45, or there's an option to start earlier at age 40, uh, screening for colorectal cancers now at now at age 45, cervical cancer screening, usually at age 25, a discussion about prostate cancer screening, and, and very importantly, uh, the low-dose CT scans that should be offered for any adult between the age of 50 and 80 who currently smoke or have quit in the past 15 years and have what we call a 20-pack year history of smoking, at least a 20-pack year. And that means the number, you take the number of packs of cigarettes smoked per day multiplied by the number of years smoked. If that equals at least 20, uh, then you may be in a category that uh, uh, should, should get this low-dose CT scan to potentially catch a early-stage lung cancer, which can be curable. I have to say I wasn't super thrilled when I hit 45 last year and they told me I had to get a, a colonoscopy, but mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, let's do it. Cause I certainly don't want to have colon cancer. Well, but, it's uh, a, it's, it's important. <laughs> I, I do know between patients and, and family members who, who, especially the colorectal screening is, are very hesitant, but, but it, it saves lives. And that's why it's a, it's a standard. It wouldn't be, um, Basically, the, the insurance companies and Medicare wouldn't be paying for them if they didn't have exactly. a, a benefit, right? And I wanted to mention within, within our own health system, uh, we have what we call the, the Providence Cancer Institute, which is a network of physicians and other caregivers and scientists whose mission is to deliver comprehensive and patient-centered care with latest with the latest technology and research. And I bring this up because... Early detection and specialized treatments are at the core of the Providence Cancer Institute care model. And we've had initiatives such as cloud-based electronic risk assessment screening programs that help efficiently identify high-risk patients in very large populations. We now have this this, uh, team called the Colorectal Cancer Dream Team to help enhance colorectal cancer detection in diverse communities that are medically underserved and have generally low screening rates. And we also have a very large primary care network that, you know, with the goal of transforming care, improving population health outcomes, especially for the poor and vulnerable who who typically face cancer health disparities. 
I love that Providence as, as a large system has so many experts and so many places that you can get care. And I love the fact that the Institute takes all of that expertise and puts it into kind of one network that you wouldn't be able to access if you were someone else. So I love it. And I love that you brought that up. We're, we're kind of running out of time, but I want to touch on a couple quick things, which are what I guess some people would call alternative interventions. I know we hear a lot about mm-hmm. like vitamin supplements and aspirin and organic food. Are those things that we should be looking at as we talk about lifestyle changes or decisions that we're making? Uh, well, so you mentioned aspirin. So regular use of aspirin or other NSAIDs uh, has actually been shown to decrease the risk of some polyps and colorectal cancers in some studies. So uh, actually in, in high-risk patients with a specific genetic condition, for example, a trial showed that it decreased the risk of colorectal cancer by 60%. But the question still remains about the most effective and safest dose and how long to take these medications for effective cancer prevention in lower-risk patients. So when it comes to, to these drugs or other drugs in general, the evidence is not compelling enough to start anything for cancer prevention um, about supplemental vitamins because of mixed, basically mixed results in studies. I generally recommend against supplement use for the sake of cancer prevention and, and just advise a healthy diet to meet the nutritional needs instead. Those are pretty wise words. So let me make sure I have this right. We're going to eat right. We're going to exercise. We're going to get our vaccines. We're going to do our screenings. Did I miss anything that we should be thinking about or that the audience should be thinking about as it relates to cancer prevention? So let's see. We mentioned, so avoiding tobacco, Ah, being physically active, maintaining a healthy weight, eating a healthy diet, eliminating, eliminating, or at least limiting alcohol, uh, protecting against infections through strategies that prevent the transmission, but also through appropriate vaccinations, sun exposure, um, and appropriate cancer screens would be everything I can recommend today. Well, that's pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. So is there anything else that you want the audience to know before we let them go? Well, um, first of all, I would like to thank you for having me on today as a radiation oncologist, a cancer doctor, cancer prevention and early detection are essential to my personal mission of saving lives and fighting to finish cancer. Uh, Over the past decades, we've already seen declines in cancer mortality due to reduced smoking, earlier cancer detection, and more advanced and personalized treatments. I'm happy programs and podcasts such as yours exist to educate our patients and loved ones so that we can all enjoy a better and healthier future. So thank you. Well, thank you, Doc, for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence and our affiliates in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health Radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit Providence.org. And as a reminder, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.